conversational copywriting is a mainstay of modern copywriting. You write like you talk, only better. But is there more to it than that? Today, we're going to dig into the science of conversational copywriting with Nick Osborne. My name is Belinda Weaver. I'm a copywriter. My business is Copyright Matters, and that's where you can find all sorts of courses and coaching and content. And this is, of course, where I normally say hello to Kate, but it's just me and my fabulous guest today, and I'm very excited to welcome him to the show. Nick Osborne, if you've not heard of him before, is an expert in copywriting and web writing. He's written copy for some of the world's biggest brands, including Citibank, Apple, Chrysler, MSN.com, New York Times, WebEx, the US Navy people, he attributes his success to conversational copywriting and he's here today to share his approach to help us all write persuasive and effective copywriting for our clients. Nick is actually one of the first copywriters I followed when I became a copywriter, so I'm dead chuffed to chat to him today. Welcome to the show, Nick. I'm glad to be here. Dead chuffed. Well, that sounds good. (laughs) <laughs> Give you a bit of local lingo. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we dig into the cold conversational copywriting science, I want to dig into your career because you just mentioned next year you're going to be having your 40th career anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So how and why did you become a copywriter in the first place? Oh, I kind of, I've, I fell into it. Uh, I was about, two, I think I was 22 and I was doing nothing, hadn't been to university, had just been bumming around since school. And my dad gently suggested with a nudge that I get out of the house and go and get a proper job. So I went up to London, stayed on the floor of a friend's house in North London. And, and one of the guys there was talking about, he worked at an ad agency. And I said, what's that? I had no idea there was such a thing as an ad agency. And he said, well, we do the advertising for companies. And I thought, oh. And I said, is it fun? And he said, yes, it's fun. And it really was back then. So I said, fine. And they all went off to work on the Monday or whatever. And I sat there with the yellow pages and I, with an old typewriter, I typed 20 letters one by one on this manual typewriter to 20 different ad agencies, all beginning with A, B or C. And (laughs) I got three interviews, one job offer and took it. And then uh, rang my dad up and said, I got a proper job. (laughs) And that was it. That's it. I just kind of fell into it. And I got into the agency. They tried me out in various places and departments within the agency. And as soon as I hit the creative department and someone gave me a copy, a piece of copy to write, I just, I just fell in love on that day. And uh, I've been falling in love ever since. I'm just incredibly fortunate that I have done something that I really enjoy doing for this long. And I still enjoy it today as much as I did that first day. So Lucky me. Lucky me. I I have a a similar kind of moment where I didn't realize, well, I didn't realize copywriting was a thing you could do. (laughs) I know. And I think a lot of our listeners are the same. And when they discovered it, the rest is history. We just all have all fallen in love with this craft. Yeah. So on your website, you talk about how consumers don't have to listen to marketing these days. And I really like this. And, you know, you said we have a voice and we're all smart. So do you think copywriting has changed much over the years in response to that shift of how consumers see marketing. Right. Well, I think there are, can I, can I do this in two slices? You so, can. All right. The first slice is that copywriting is the same today as it was 40 years ago. The, the basic persuasive elements of, of writing words to persuade are much the same. Uh, the power of the word free or now 
or if I put some urgency, if I tell you that the price of something is going to go up, you know, two times at midnight tonight, more people will buy today. So there are some fundamentals that are the same. And also like good writing, good copywriting. That's what I loved back in the day. I used to, I had some favorite print copywriters I used to follow back then in the late 90, late seventies, early eighties. And, you know, they were just really, really good writers by any standard. So, so the actual, just the craft of writing copy, I think, remains largely the same. What worked then works today. So that, that's the first slice. The second slice is where we see the dramatic change. And that is, again, back in the day when I started, before the web came along, all media were broadcast media. We were broadcasting a sales message at an audience. It was one way, like a TV. You'd, you'd, you'd write a TV commercial and the commercial would be aired, it would be shown, and it would broadcast a sales message at an audience. Uh, the person sitting on his couch had no way of interacting back with the TV or with a newspaper or with a billboard. It was one way, broadcast. So, yeah, there was, a, mm. there was a particular way of selling at an audience. Then along came the web, and that was my kind of second love affair, I guess. Uh, I wrote my first website back in 1995 and started doing kind of online writing full-time in 97. And, and I loved it because of this dramatic shift that, wow, here is a medium that is not one way, it's not a broadcast medium, it's actually a two-way or a multi-way medium, it's an interactive medium. Uh, unlike TV, if, if I watch your YouTube video, I can either comment on your video, or heck, I can take out my smartphone and I can record a video of my own. It's a shared media, like online, whether it's print or, you know, you know whether it's text on a, on a blog post or it's video or it's audio in, in a podcast, I'm on your podcast. Hey, I could start a podcast tomorrow. You know, there's a democratization of media with the web. Yeah. And so this changes the dynamic is that really you should no longer then now be writing at me as you did in the broadcast days. Now you should be engaging with me because like you said in the intro there, uh, as, as a consumer of advertising, as a, as a regular person out here, um, I have choices now. I, I can tune you out really easily. Uh, if I don't like your ads, I can actually just install an ad blocker in my browser and that's kind of job done for everyone. Or if I don't, yeah. if I don't like your emails or your newsletters, I'll just, uh, I'll just block you in my email. I'll unsubscribe or I'll you know, block you as, mark you as spam or, or whatever's easiest for me. And so I have amazing choices now. Um, I, can, I, I can get rid of you. So if you just push at me, uh, I don't even actually I don't have to push back. I'll just ignore you. <laughs> I'll cut you out. Yeah. And, and what drives me nuts? Why? I, why I'm kind of kind of chief advocate or advocate in chief for conversational copywriting is that companies. Um, it's been 20 years now. It's been over 20 years, and companies still don't get it. They're still using online media as if they were broadcast media. Yeah. Uh, companies still use they use social media as a broadcast medium. They use Facebook to shout at an audience. I'm like, seriously, people? I mean, <laughs> social media is social. It's interactive. You should be engaging with people, not shouting at them. Uh, so, Absolutely. So and I want to yeah. dig into this kind of disconnect right. that we still see in this modern day. But how would you, how do you define conversational copywriting? Because I said, you know, oh, you write like you talk, only a bit better. But, but there is more to it than that. Why? We're already talking about how modern marketing is more of a conversation. So this is where it comes in, right? How do you define cop conversational copywriting to someone who just has never heard that term before? 
Well, like you say, it's, it's like the spoken word, but better. Uh, that's a nice definition. I like that. Thank you. I'll steal it. <laughs> You're <laughs> well, welcome. Sometimes people say, oh, well, you mean it's just like a conversation. And I say, well, no, not really, because if you, if you take a, a transcript of what I'm saying in this, like right now, you'll find that I'm probably kind of a bit overly wordy and I'll repeat myself and my sentences will be kind of broken up and incomplete. So it's not exactly like spoken language. It's like you say, it's spoken language, but better. And I think maybe one of the simplest ways to define it is that give me a piece of copy you've written. Let me sit across my kitchen table from you. And then you, actually, you, you, you get your copy. Read it out loud to me. If you feel uncomfortable or embarrassed or foolish as you read your copy to me, it's not conversational. So, so conversational isn't just about the words and word choices. It's also about the relationship. So, so that's my test is if I'm writing something and I'm thinking to myself, hey, this is conversational, I, I, I do the same thing. I said, okay, if I were sitting across the table from a member of this audience that I'm writing to and I were looking them in the eye and I read out loud what I've written on this page, would it come over naturally? Would it sound honest? Would it sound sincere and transparent? Or would it feel awkward or maybe a little manipulative or sneaky? I mean, how, how, how would I feel reading this face-to-face -face with someone? And I, th yeah. and I think that's a good litmus test. Is, is that, because sometimes there's a, there's a whole different branch of conversational copywriting, which I kind of call the kind of bogus buddy approach, which is, is the emails you get that says, uh, hey, Nick, buddy, dot, dot, dot. I was thinking of you this morning and then I just stop because I think, no, you're a lying sack of whatever because you weren't thinking of me this morning. This email has been in that funnel, that automation system for the last three months. And, yeah. and this is the kind of false conversational. So it's written in a conversational style. It's written as if this person were my friend, but he's not. He's just, he, he recognizes the power, the persuasive power of conversational copywriting, but, he, mm. but he's missed out on the whole idea of transparency and honesty and intent he's still trying to fool me he's still trying to manipulate me he's just, he's just trying to do it in a chatty way now yeah and i think that's really that really reflects how savvy we all are now not just us in the marketing world but everyday buyers and shoppers who are subscribing to get discounts and coupons and all sorts of emails into their inbox they still know what it's all about yeah yeah, and I think in part that's because they are also creators of media. Uh, they're also writing their own Facebook posts. They are oh yeah, adding images to, you know, they're, they're creators too. They get it. They, they know how this works. So, again, in the olden days before the web, I was writing to a fairly, it's the wrong word, but ignorant audience like they didn't understand they're ignorant of the ways of marketing at the ways of persuasive language hey i remember there was this wonderful wonderful cartoon i should have kept a copy of it this is like i'm going back i don't know how many decades here and it had this picture of a lady uh in her home and she was picking up she was holding an envelope in one hand and talking on the phone an old rotary phone in the other and she was calling her husband at work and she was saying uh, Donald, I think you should come home early. You had a letter from American Express and it says, please open immediately. <laughs> and, and there's a kind of naivety there. And, and, it's, and it's funny because there's an element of truth is that, you know, I could write on the outside of an envelope, 
back in the last century, you have been specially selected. And it was, you know, you've been specially selected amongst 5 million other people. But yes, you, you could almost, because the language of advertising was understood only by people within the industry, you could, you could play that kind of game. Now, because our audience are also creators, because this is a shared medium, like, like if, if, if somebody reads, not me, but if someone, you know, if my wife or daughter reads something saying, hey, I was thinking about you this morning, they may not think like I do, well, hang on, um, this email's been in this automation funnel for months, this guy's lying. They, may not know, they don't know that stuff, but they probably are savvy enough to think, you know what, this doesn't feel quite right. I'm not sure. That, mm. I'm not sure this guy's on the up and up. I'm not sure he was thinking of me this morning. It would be kind of weird. It would. <laughs> it would. And maybe you can fool them one time, but then the second time they read it from someone else, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. They're playing. Mm. But transparency, I think, is becoming more and more important in modern copywriting, and that might be just really being real in your emails to people because, you know, there's that whole people buy from people and we can call out the elephant in the room that, yeah, this is an email going out to quite a few people. But, you know, I think what's interesting is that, for example, we were talking about emails. So we we use personalization tags in our emails. So it's saying, hey, Nick, now, most many people know that when they subscribe to something, they put in their first name and that's how the first name gets put into an email. But I don't think that lessens the effectiveness of the copywriting technique, which goes back to your point that the tried and tested techniques of foundation, the science of copywriting, it still works today. And that's because of how our brain works and how brain responds to these kind of things. Oh, absolutely. And our brain also responds to sales language that is too pushy. Yeah. Uh, there's wonderful, actually, there's kind of neuromarketing, there's neuroscience that they've, they've done, they've looked into this. You know, you know those uh, MRI machines that measure oxygen levels in the blood in your brain? And that, these are medical things in hospitals. Uh, so, yeah. so doctors use them to figure out that, you know, something's, you know, if you've had a stroke or whatever. But marketers have also purchased time on these machines. And if you show so, if, there, if someone's in an MRI machine and you show them a picture of something scary like a spider or a snake, uh, you can see that the amygdala, that kind of primitive cave person part of the brain, light up. It's the, it's the flight or fright, fright, you know, the flight or fight center of your brain, the amygdala. And it lights yes. up when you see something scary like a snake. It turns out if you also show them or listen or they listen to some audio of a really pushy used car salesman, in other words, an aggressive salesperson, the same part of the brain lights up this flight or, fr- or flight or fight center. So it's really interesting that the primitive brain, our brains uh, perceive like a, a tiger or a snake or a spider as danger, but also uh, aggressive sales that the, the brain responds in exactly the same way. Uh, so I, I find that the neuroscience of marketing really interesting as to how the, brain, how the brain actually responds to these things. Whereas if I speak to you in a much more, in a, in a much less, less adversarial, I mean, we could almost say old school copywriting is more adversarial than, than conversational copywriting. Uh, I think conversational copywriting at its best is much more respectful, much more engaging, mm. and, and it takes the adversarial part out of it. And when you take that part out of it, then it doesn't feel dangerous to the reader anymore. They can relax a bit. And in fact, they can feel that they actually can trust you. And as you know, if you, if you, you know, the more people trust you, the more likely they are to buy from you. 
you say people absolutely. buy people buy from people, but also really people buy from people they trust. Yes, that absolutely. People they know and trust. So, so that's a huge part of it too. So, how does conversational copywriting? Because this is what we're talking about: this free prefrontal cortex versus the amygdala. How does conversational copywriting fit in with things like direct response copywriting, which I feel has a shorter runway to the to the ask for the purchase? Do they can they work together? They can. And again, it's a lot of it is down. It, it's, it's all down to how you write. So tradition, because I, I grew up, I was a direct response copywriter. That was my, in, in print, I used to write junk mail. That's how, I, in my early years. Oh. So done that, been there. And, and that is a fairly fast paced, aggressive approach, or it can be. Uh, but then again, it can also be done very well. And the very best direct mail is in fact conversational. So a friend of mine, uh, Drakenbird from the UK, uh, he's, have you heard of Drayton? Yes. All right. So, so Drayton, hey, I show off about doing this for 40 years. Drayton was telling me last week he's been doing this for 62 years professionally. And he's still, <laughs> Just to put you in your place. I know, put me in my place. And he's still full of energy and he can still drink me under the table. So I asked him about conversational copywriting and he's like, duh. He said, that's always been the case. He said, the best copywriters have always been conversational. The best direct response copywriters have always been conversational. So let me give you another example. Let, let's say you have a, you've got kids, right? I don't know what age they are. Yes, I do. Right. Small, needy. <laughs> Small and needy. All right. Mine, <laughs> mine, mine are older and needy. But hey, there will come a time when your teenage daughter really, really wants to persuade you that it's okay for her to stay out past curfew with her friends one evening. And I'll tell you, she's going to be really, really persuasive. Uh, she's not going to sound like a marketer. She's going to sound like a kid persuading her mum to change her mind. And mm. if you think about it, like we are all capable of being super persuasive in conversation. Kids do it. Hey, if you, if, if you and your husband have got different ideas about which, which is the best restaurant to go to on a Friday night, you will try to change each other's minds or the best movie or the best vacation spot. You will be persuasive. You'll say, oh, man, you were, last time we went there, you hated that. Do you remember X, Y, Z? And you'll use, and in fact, strangely, you're using some of the techniques out of the, you know, the copywriter's playbook. You say, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to, you know, you, you don't try and do it rationally. You do it like emotionally. Oh, do you remember how bad you felt? Or do you remember how upset we were? Do you remember what a good time we had, how, how we laughed, you know, whatever. We're, we're touching these points. When, so all of us are used to selling. We're, we're always selling. I'm, you know, I'm selling my daughter on, on, on it being a smart idea to do extra stuff at college, at school, so she gets into university. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be persuasive. So, so we're natural. Mm. I'm rambling now. I've forgotten the question. <laughs> I think, the, I think the, we were talking about direct response copywriting, right. which is right. kind of traditionally has a, a more aggressive reputation. Right. And it can be, but, um, but I think that's when it's not done at its best. I think, yeah. I think direct response copywriting at its best is like a persuasive teenager or a persuasive kid. It's, yeah. it's authentic. It's emotional. It's not using tips and tricks. Uh, maybe with a kid and apparently it might be a little bit manipulative sometimes. But. Of course, <laughs> but they're learning. Yeah, yeah. I'm often saying to my daughter, no, you crowd, honey. No, you crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also it's like the thing about the web is that in a, not in the traditional sense, but in, in a new sense, everything about the web is direct response. It is the ultimate direct response medium. If I, if I go to your homepage, 
of your website. Like you may not be, you may not want me to specifically, you know, I may not be going to be buying something. You probably don't, you know, you don't have a buy now button on your homepage, but you certainly want me to do something. You want me yeah. to click a link or you want me to sign up for a newsletter. If, if I go to your homepage and I don't click anything, if I never use my mouse, uh, you failed because I did nothing. That's uh, right. You've I, got these micro conversions right, all the time. Right. So, so in fact, is the, the web is like the ultimate direct response medium, whether it's a social media, whether it's a website, whether it's uh, email, newsletters. You want somebody, you want every viewer or visitor or listener to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Because if, if, if they don't, you kind of missed out. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in that um, sense, it is. In that sense, while the web is different, while it's a multi-way medium, it's, it's also, in, in a very real sense, the ultimate direct response medium. Yeah, I think you've talked me around to that, I understand. <laughs> and when, I mean, there's also, we talked a bit about persuading people to take some action, and there's this idea that, you know, when, when we're persuading people, we're, we're getting them to change, but a lot of the things that we really want to do in our long runway um, in our marketing is is resonate with people and part of that is is using and reflecting their using the language that they're using and reflecting the challenges um, so we're you you know we are the the internal monologue in their in their brain and then that's when they can really trust us because we're saying we we get you this is this is how we can help what are there any kind of hallmarks of the science of conversational copywriting you know like cadence and vocab how do you how do you well, separate the elements of conversational copywriting all right so two things if i can remember both as a child whenever i say two things i always remember the second i always forget the second thing the, the first part of i'll make a note the first part of conversational copywriting it's the same with conversation, is that we're, we're at our worst when we don't listen. Mm. So I'm sure you've had conversations where you suddenly realize the other person isn't listening to you at all. They're just waiting yeah. for a pause so they can jump in and carry on saying what they wanted to say. All right. And generally, we are very poor listeners. I'm, I'm an absolute conversation geek. I find conversation, like outside of advertising or anything, just conversation in our lives, in our cultures, in our families, in our work, I find conversation fascinating because it is such a big part of our lives. It is mm. that first date you have with your husband revolved around conversation, uh, probably. <laughs> um, yes, listeners, it did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, that, your first job interview was a conversation, uh, making friends, getting comfortable at work. Every, you know, yet conversations are so central to our lives. And, and like I say, generally we do a very poor job. And most of that, it, most of our problem is that we don't listen enough in conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first task for a conversational copywriter is to listen. And fortunately for us, the web, among other things, is a remarkable place for us to listen to our audience. We can listen to them through social media. We can go to, we can read the reviews they write on Amazon or TripAdvisor. Uh, we can, there are all kinds of tools out there for us to discern, not just the language that our prospects and customers use, but also their emotional touch points. Like when it comes to a particular product or service, what is it that upsets our audience? What do they love? What are they looking for? What do they hate? What frustrates them? What delights them? So I'm mm. always looking for those emotional and I'm listening. I'm not making it up. I'm not doing focus groups. I'm actually going to what people actually say online. 
I'm going to those reviews, I'm going to that feedback, I'm asking for input from the customer service people. What are people loving? What are they hating? What upsets them? What language do they use? Because very often the language that I get in the brief from the client, the internal cultural language of the company, is very often not the exact same language that their prospects use. And and companies make that mistake all the time of speaking in their language instead of the customer's language. So that's job one is to listen. the, the second part, which I've actually remembered, goes back to your point, and that is mirroring. So once I've listened to an audience, I can mirror them in my own copy. So as a copywriter, I have to, I have to kind of swallow my pride and stop trying to write clever headlines and actually just mirror what you say. So if you say in conversation to me, oh, Nick, I'm, I'm really frustrated by not being able to get the best kind of clients. I seem to attract rubbish clients but I feel frustrated about not being able to get the best kind. If I now want to sell you uh, whatever it is, coaching, a course, a book, whatever it is, I can come up with fancy headlines or I can say, are you frustrated by not being able to get the best clients? In other words, I'm going to mirror your language right back to you. And to do that, hey, I can use keyword research tools. I can use all kinds of tools as to what are the things people say and, and what are the, you know, what is it that frustrates them or excites them or, or whatever? And I will mirror that straight back. So like I say, I'm not actually, in a sense, being a traditional copywriter. I'm not coming up with clever copy. I'm simply doing a really good job of listening. And then, like you said, I'm mirroring that back. And that is, is an amazingly powerful way to communicate with your prospects because now I don't have to persuade you. I don't have to settle to you because I'm in your head now. I'm your friend. I'm, I'm an advocate for you. I'm, yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying I, think this is, words. Right, I, th- I think this is how you feel. Uh, and, and if that is how you feel, then I think you might find this interesting and helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like most of, I think, I very much look at copywriting as, as sort of 80, 90% kind of technical. It's, it's construction, it's science. And there's, you can have creative flair in there. But when you take the time to do brainstorming, when you take the time to do research and investigate, when you do all your homework before you sit down to start to write, the writing process can actually be a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say and teach the same. I put it slightly differently. I say say 90% of being a good copywriter is figuring out what to say and 10% is how well you say it. So, oh, yeah. so if you've, if, if you, if you haven't, if you got that the wrong way around and you have this amazing pride as being, Oh, I know how to write beautifully as a copywriter. Well, if you're saying the wrong thing, I don't care how good you are. You're, yes. You're, your prose is wasted. Yeah, you, you can't, you can't say the wrong thing. Well, or rather you can, but it won't get you anywhere. So I'd always put my money on the copywriter who's figured out what to say, even if they're not as good a, a writer if they figured out what to say, they'll always win. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I saw a tweet while prepping for this chat, which read, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically, client says, we're too stuffy in corporate, make us sound human and approachable. After reading the first draft, they say, far too colloquial and relaxed. This is for serious business people. <laughs> and there was a constant stream of copywriters tweeting back saying, this is the struggle that they have all the time. I've had it, my students have had it, all our listeners have had this conversation with a client at one time or another. So 
Why do you think there is such a disconnect between what businesses feel they should be doing, which is appearing more human and approachable, as opposed to what they fall back to after reading that first draft? Why do they get so skittish about this slightly more relaxed tone? Okay, so I, I think there are two, again, we get back to the two things here. <laughs> one, <laughs> one is that uh, it's, it's scary for the client to change the corporate voice. Uh, they, they should have done it when the web, you know, in the mid-1990s, but they're, you know, 25 years later, they're still scared to change the traditional, um, you, know, the, you know, the business as the formal serious entity kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, now, modern startups, um, native com- companies that are more native to the web, generally have a more relaxed style and tone. Their founders are younger, their language is a bit more... Uh, relax. Not always. Uh, the the companies that have been around for longer, yeah, they find it hard. So part of that is is just fear of the unknown, and the safe option is always to be safe and, and do the old thing that they've always done. So that part of the blame I, I put on the client, and I, I try to push back on that. The other side, this the second thing, I think sometimes as copywriters, we mistake conversational for chatty we write chatty text and our client thinks, whoa, that doesn't sound like us. And, and often they're right and often it's our fault that I've made this mistake myself. So, so imagine we're, it's a B2B company, technical stuff. And imagine I'm a new hire at that company and I go into my first meeting and it's like way over my head, all this kind of company lingo and, and technical stuff. And I'm kind of drowning in the meeting, it's my first day. Anyway, one of the other people in the meeting is, sees I'm struggling and after the meeting around the coffee maker or whatever says, you didn't understand that really, did you, Nick? And I said, no. And then that person says, let me explain. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they start talking to me in natural conversational language. They're going to cut out the ridiculously technical stuff. There'll probably be some technical stuff still there because it's a technical topic. They're not being chatty, but there is a difference between the language of the meeting and the language of a conversation between two people around a coffee yes. maker on exactly the same topic. So when I work with a client and I want them to be more conversational, I'm not saying, oh, let's make you sound all chatty because that's often not appropriate. I'm going to say, okay, let's find the conversational version of what you're saying now. If, yeah. if, 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 if you are, if you're communicating with the kind of business meeting version, let's find, what is the water cooler version of that same interaction? Like- One thing I would say to clients is because I, I would often have clients go, oh, it's not professional. It's not professional. It's not clever enough. It's, it's unprofessional. And I would say, well, consider your best salesperson. They're not unprofessional. They're friendly. They're persuasive. They're charming. And they're still professional. That's the tone that we can go with. Right. It doesn't automatically mean we're, you know, it doesn't have to be friend at the bar. Oh, and, and that's a great point about B2B because I get a lot of pushback with conversational copywriting on, on this. Oh, well, I can see that in B2C, but it wouldn't work mm. for business to business. And I'm like, seriously, like every single yeah. business to business transaction includes a conversation between a salesperson and the prospect. I mean, it's like by definition, 
a B2B transaction is conversational because it never happens with a, it almost never happens with a buy button. It almost always happens with a conversation by phone or, on, or in person. So in fact, yeah, it, right. it, it is the place and you're absolutely right is that when you listen to that conversation between the salesperson and the prospect in B2B, uh, that is conversational copywriting at its, at its essence. It, it is sales. It's as technical as need be, but it's two human beings talking to one another. Drayton Bird made the point to me. Um, I, I did an interview with him. He made the point that B2B is just a bunch of people who used to be customers, who, are, who were customers in the morning and now they're at work. You know, yes. they're regularly, you know, just, just, somebody's, just because somebody's at work doesn't mean to say they're a different species suddenly that speak a different language. Yeah, indeed. I when Vicky, we had Vicky Ross, who's a UK copywriter on the show, and she made the point that conversational copywriting isn't a separate tone of voice. It's all a conversation. And that's how we need to think about it. Just that some conversations for some businesses are friend at the bar. Some conversations right. for other businesses are that professional salesperson. Right. Right. And, 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 it, and like I say, I, th- I, th- I think the litmus test for all of this is when, I, when it, my challenge always is look at your copy, imagine someone, your prospect is sitting across the kitchen table from you, read out loud what you've written. And does it sound awkward? Does it sound creepy? Does it make you sound like an idiot? If it does, go back and write it again. It should feel like a natural interaction between two people. I love that. That's a good test, everyone. Um, so if we if a client um, and a copywriter is going through this struggle and we're never going to end this struggle, I think. How, um, is that something a copywriter should tell their client, you know, the things that we've just been talking about or like, how would you, how do you push back on the client? Is it that water cooler moment that you try and get them to understand or do you have other lines that you give them that help clients understand the importance of this tone? It's tricky. It's uh, it, it's it's always tricky because most client most client a lot of a lot of clients will fall back on what is known and what is safe, which is the traditional mm. approach. And also, someone challenged me the other day, and and so here I, I got to be totally honest and transparent with you in the conversational way. They said, "Hey Nick, if you if I he said, he said you've got background as a direct response copywriter." They said, on this project, if you wrote a hard-selling, hard-pushing direct response page and you A-B split tested it today with a more conversational page, which would win in terms of conversion rates, in terms of sales? A tough challenge, right? Mm. And I said, well, honestly, truly, my guess is that the hard-charging direct response page would win today. But I I said, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is that if you think the long-term success of your business is going to depend on the relationships you build with your customers, then I think if I keep if if I kept if you if we kept those two groups of customers, uh, you know, if I fed the first group hard-charging direct response every week for the next year, and the second mm. group I was conversational and honest and open and transparent with every week for the year. I think by the end of the year, my group would be, would be buying more from you. Absolutely. Because what I'm doing is I'm building trust rather than eroding trust. So It's, you know, it's quick shag versus a long-term relationship, really. 
That is definitely one way of looking at it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, and you're and you're right. It is. Hey, it is. It's a perfect analogy. If if you if 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 you know you go you go to a bar. If your intention is the one night stand, your language, everything, everything, your posture, everything is going to be different compared to if you're actually going into a bar and you're actually looking to find someone to start a long term relationship with. The language will yes. be different. Though. The pace will be different. The intensity will be different. Your body language, everything, everything will be different. So, so yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're after just 365 one-night stands, go the direct response rate, <laughs> direct response way. If you're after long, building long-term relationship with your clients and having them tell their friends about you, get that word-of-mouth thing happening, uh, then take the, you know, I'm looking for a long-term relationship. I'm going to be open on this transparent and conversation with you. Mm. And there's the, the, the proven concept that, um, when people don't buy on the first request, they will usually buy what it is they're looking for eventually. And so if you just stay in touch with people right. through that long runway of marketing, you will get the sale in the end. And it's that long-term view building a relationship with potential customers that is a, a really key selling point, especially for clients. Because who right. isn't interested in higher long-term client value and long-term sales and repeated purchasing and all those kind of things? So it's a I think it should be a fairly easy sell well, if you can get clients past the fear. It can, except hey, again, it depends on the size of the company and, and if, if if it's a public company and it's all about quarterly results. You know, we, we've, we've got to exceed mm-hmm. last year's quarter in terms of sales. Then, hey, maybe it's a, maybe it's a tougher sell. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I find it, it it's just crazy to me that people online are still writing and, and selling as if it were you know 1994. Because this is a shared medium, people do push back, people do punish companies for behaving badly online. Uh, you know, there are lots of companies that have learned to their, to their detriment that, yeah, people can push back. People have a voice online. If you mistreat them, if you speak to them disrespectfully, if you serve them poorly, uh, you know, word of mouth works that way as well. Hey, and on word of mouth, I mean, like word of mouth, I mean, the web is the perfect medium for word of mouth, uh, particularly social media. But word of mouth, in other words, people sharing stuff uh, it, it, it doesn't work with formal, long, pushy language. Word of mouth is, is conversational in sense, by, almost by definition, right? So yeah. it's, the, it's those simple, hey, go, even going for some non-web things, saying, you know, where's the beef, got milk, you know, these, these very short, catchy phrases. Uh, you get amazing word of mouth with those old school uh, phrases. And we can come up with the same online, but you don't get, if you have some kind of formally constructed sales pitch, that, that doesn't get shared. Um, no, that's right. And this, this is often another challenge I feel we, we have as copywriters is the battle that, um, that straightforward isn't professional, that straightforward is dumbing it down too much. And it's just because something is easy to read and easy to understand, that doesn't mean it's not professional. That's actually the perfect balance. Well, yeah. So I've yeah, I've had a few a few dozen or a hundred arguments over that one over the years. It's yeah. like it's like since when is clarity unprofessional? Since when is yeah. simplicity unprofessional? It's ridiculous. It's like for sure there'll always be some people out there who think that 
to look professional, the language has to be all dressed up and fancy and incomprehensible. Incomprehensible is clever, right? We need to tell people how clever we are. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, it, I, it drives me nuts. I, I kind of collect, I'm a bit of a collector of that kind of nonsense te- in a business writing. And one of the things I scratch my head and I think, where do people learn that? Where do people learn to write that way? Uh, it's kind of weird. I, I've never come across that. Wow, oh, sorry. <laughs> I know. I think it's from within companies because I know um, from my own experience, I had to unlearn corporate speak once I left my day job. And I think a lot of copywriters have that where they have to unlearn all those habits of $10 words and fluffing things up because it's just the way people, they have a water cooler conversation and they sit down and then they write an email as per our recent conversation. Like that's not... That's not how you ju- you're just talking to the human being in the water cooler. What just happened there? So know, yeah, and it's true. It's so if you think about it, so if you, I, I guess when we get to school, we get it. We get natural communication beaten out of us to pass exams, and then we get a university. Well, I don't, but a lot of people get a university, and then you get a BA and an MA, and by the time you get a PhD, your language is now pretty incomprehensible. Then you get a business Ruined. school, and then you get a <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, but the funny thing is, the good the good news is that when you get back from home, uh, get back from work, and you go home, and you're chatting with family or at a barbecue in the backyard with friends and neighbours, you still talk like a real person. So we may lose our ability to write naturally, but we don't lose our ability to talk naturally, which again is how I kind of turn people around. And I say, look, just forget for a moment the way you've been taught to write and just keep in mind the way you talk, the way you're persuasive at work and with friends and, and use that language because you still have that. You haven't forgotten how to do it with your voice. You've just forgotten how to be clear and simple with, with the written word. Yeah. No one's a lost cause, listeners. No one's a lost cause. <laughs> so you you created a link just for our listeners, a guide to conversational copywriting, and it's a special hot copy link. Um, we'll include that in our show notes. And you've got a, it's a three video um, tutorial series, which I have recently watched, and it's very, very helpful. Um, can you leave us with, with one tip for our listeners, um, maybe a tip that could help them write more conversational copy for clients? I think it, I'm repeating myself, but I think it is very much. Imagine your your reader across the kitchen table from you. I think it's a great one. Uh, and, it's a and, and also, also the the only way you can really see that person in your mind's eye is to put in the research, to do the listening, to, yeah. to you know. And because, like I said, the way there's no excuse for not intimately understanding your audience online. It used to be very hard offline online because I have access to prospects and customers through uh, social media, through keyword research tools, uh, through reviews all over the place. There's no excuse for me not to listen very, very carefully and to hear their language and to hear their emotions. And now once I have that, I really do know who I'm speaking, this imaginary person across the kitchen table. And I really, if I'm honest with myself, I really will know whether what I'm writing and reading out will mirrors their interests and desires, whether I'm actually talking in the right way to the right person. Um, mm. So 
if, if I think if you put in the work, it, there's really no excuse for not doing this well anymore because we just have we need so many tools to help us get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing your uh, your tips and advice with us today, Nick. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, where We're going to include links to all your social profiles, but where do okay. you hang out the most? At conversationalcopywriting.com. Uh, and if anyone wants to email me, they can email me at nick at conversationalcopywriting.com. And like I say, like you mentioned, I did, I've got that page at conversationalcopywriting.com forward slash hot which is just for you, the Hot Coffee Excellent. Podcast. Does yeah. everyone feel special? I feel special. Um, so <laughs> also, if you're a coffee lover, Nick has The Coffee Detective, which will also True. include a link to, um, which I particularly, my eyes kind of opened up a little wider because my blog used to be called The Coffee Detective. So I was oh, is that little, right? <laughs> yeah, just a little name, Lucky Lucky there. <laughs> But, yeah, yeah, thank you very much uh, for spending time with us today, Nick. At the end of the show, we like to give a listener a shout-out, and today I'm giving a shout-out to Greg in Portland. Every American info conveyed with British and Aussie accents just sounds more valuable. But Kate and Belinda really do deliver every time. Add this show to your mix. You'll be glad you did. Well, thank you very much, Greg. I hope we've ticked off some more accents. We've got another Brit instead of Kate. Um, so hopefully yeah. everything we said today sounded more valuable. <laughs> um, and thank you to you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave us a late rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to pods because it helps other copywriters find us. And we'll give you a shout on the show, just like I did for Greg. If you've got any comments or thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to hotcopypodcast.com um, or contact Nick directly. So thank you again, Nick. This was great. You're welcome. It's been great talking with you. Until next time, happy writing, everyone. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I suddenly realised after you said it, I thought, my God, I bet I sounded like an old man shocked that you said shaggy. <laughs> And do you know what it was? It wasn't. It wasn't shock. It was that Americans don't say shaggy. Uh, Australians oh. do, and English people, Canadians don't say it, but Australians do, and English people do. And it was just that wonderful kind of cultural reference that took me by surprise. <laughs> it, was, it was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> the shaggy <laughs> reference. I haven't heard anyone use shagging as a word for a long time. <laughs>